0: And just thinking about uh, being thankful and you know and what I think is 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 what an amazing thing thankfulness even means and 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 we've been given so much from God that we can be thankful for and thankful in and that means even even in our relationships with each other as we grow and as uh, we in in any relation between uh, people in Christ those that are in Christ in a body in a marriage in a work environment with us Christians there's always going to be three things that that come against us it's going to be the flesh that can be in either it's the whole world system and it's satan and all those three things that are constantly uh, coming against us but we have we have God the Father, we have Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But in any of those things, any of those relationships, when there is at times confrontation or confusion or misunderstandings, because we're all weak and we're all frail, none of us have arrived. I mean, we have in our position, but we're growing in our experience. Uh, But one of the things that can cause us to be so very thankful for is that even in these areas of contention and at times struggles and growth and relationships, we can always be thankful because there's always a provision, always the provision of forgiveness. That's what makes any relationship work, and we can do that instantly. Just think about that. We, We can instantly forgive one another. I mean, just instantly. And because we, as we've been taught through the word that, that again, that uh, forgiveness is just God confirming his love. And that's the answer, isn't it, to every struggle, every single thing. I was thinking this in, in my own personal growth. I can always know when I'm not functioning in grace because there's never any irritation in grace, ever. This doesn't. And then if there's not, then of course, obviously, first and foremost, there'll never be any suspicion in love, because love isn't suspicious. God is not suspicious of anything. He knows all things. Now, he knew what was in man in John 2, 24 and 25, and he didn't commit himself to man. Christ committed himself to the Father in this great work that he would do, and we're going to get to this, in propitiating the Father thus becoming the substitute for man. And I think that the most important thing in relationships, especially those that are most intimate, is always functioning in the individual vessel, having that great substitute. And he's always, always the heart of the substitute, that's Christ, in each vessel, always is, has to do with reconciliation. And reconciliation it can be so instant in terms of experience. We have been reconciled to God already positionally. Christ has already done that. And now in our relationships with each other, as we grow in our own vessels with Christ that's the treasure in second Corinthians 4:7, we grow in that way. and when we do, when we do, we have Him who's our substitute who has reconciled us to himself and to God, to God, because he was the one that propitiated the Father, and then we are reconciled back. And that means reconciliation, these words, we're going to see in the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant, the word atonement, and these are some of the things we're going to be so very thankful for as we just go over them briefly, but tomorrow and through the week, we're going to get into them in detail. In detail, because I was... I was asked a question by Mike, and he, when, I, when we were in Texas, um, God had me put together a little pamphlet to pass out to, to the people, and it was called, it, it was called uh, Atonement, Substitution, and Reconciliation. And he's been sharing there in Berleson about that, and he asked me, do, do you have that uh, booklet? If you have it, send it. I don't because we passed them all out, and I think I passed out my last one, but I still have all the notes and all the study information. And so I want to go into that. But getting back to this uh, in our intimate relationships with each other, just think we've already been reconciled in opposition. So if there's needed growth, and is there in all of us? If there's needed growth and there is in all of us, then we have in us the substitute, And I think it's very beautiful when we understand where he said, he said it to Israel in Joshua 1.5, I will not fail you nor forsake you. Because love, 1 Corinthians 13.8, that who is God, God is love, he never fails. (laughs) So God said, I will not forsake you nor fail you. (laughs) And again, in Hebrews 13.5, in the original Koine Greek, it's a triple salutation. The Amplified brings it out uh, to some degree. And I will never, no, never in any way, no, ever, for any reason, ever forsake you, Mm -hmm. leave you nor forsake you. So we have the substitute in us. Mm -hmm. So the means, by not what we do, but by receiving the substitute, we can be reconciled to each other in a moment like this Mm -hmm. because of forgiveness. And that goes into Ephesians. When you read Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I think it's very interesting how it goes into the the oneness of the local assembly the oneness of the body of christ and again the body of christ there's a vast majority that are in heaven and there's a, still a, a pretty good majority here on the earth still considered to be one and there's that vast majority there and we are all one and uh, and then you see how it flows through the right teaching and preaching, and it's all from Christ, notice that, it all flows from him in Ephesians 4, in the eighth verse, it all flows from him, right down to when we get to, to verse 32, and this is what it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, and be you kind. Why? Well, what's our substitute like who's in us? It's kind, and kind, kind, the root word for that is the word grace. Meaning, he's always gracious. He always has a gracious answer for his love to flow through whenever that need is needed. And so, this is what it says, And be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, notice, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. (laughs) We can be just like God in our behavior because of Christ and what he's given us. And then it goes right into the fifth chapter, and be followers, be followers of God. And who is God? God is love, as what? Dearly beloved, dearly beloved children, dearly beloved. And then what? Walk in love, be governed by it, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. And so when it says given himself for us, you're gonna see how it flows right into marriage. And in marriage, the husband initiates and gives to the wife. The wife receives and gives back in this most intimate relationship. The very, very most intimate one. And you can see how that flows. So, But you can see that all the way through to the fifth chapter. And then how the husband and wife relate to one another. You will see that in this relationship of the most intimate love. You're going to see how it flows right to the children. And then, with that being set, the family, because what is the church made up of? It's made up of males, females, and they reach a certain age, and then they have children. And that's what makes up the local assembly. And that is the very thing, that is the very thing that the enemy comes in like a flood to go after. He goes after that that is most intimate to Christ. And what is that? It's you and I, his church. That's our, it's our marriages and how we deal uh, with one another. And God never deals with us outside of his love because Christ has finished everything for us. These truths, these truths that we have, and this is called positional truth, and thank God, and then through, through proper preaching and teaching, and when I say proper, proper I, by that I just simply mean that God the Holy Spirit is the only theologian and the only scholar who can take the things of Christ and show them unto those that are completely submitted to him. We can see how this flows. This all has to do, and we're just gonna lay the basic foundation about what it means, atonement, and the word atonement in the Hebrew is kafar, it's K-A-P-H-A-R, it's kafar, and it's covering. See, everything in the Old Testament that those that believe Christ, according to all the sacrifices, the sacrifices are brought up beautifully in the, in, in the book of Leviticus, and all those sacrifices were the types that Christ is the great anti-type that would fulfill them. But their faith looked forward. Their faith looked forward to, to Christ when he would actually come in Galatians 4.4 4, and Luke 1, verse 35, and John 1, and verse 14, and actually grow up, have a, then he began his 30, when he was 30 years of age, his public ministry. Then three and a half years later, cut off on Calvary. What was passed over in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, the mercy seat, and how all that was covered. And all this was, was pointing towards Christ. All of that, and in that sense, it was covered till Christ would come. And all that that was covered would be put on him. And all ours in, the, in, this, in this church time that we're in would be put on him at that time. Their faith looked forward to the cross. You see how that works? Our faith looks back to it. And this is, that is what the word atonement means. Okay. Katalage, in, in those different Greek words, is where we get our word, reconciliation. You'll see that in Romans, the book of Romans. We have been reconciled, and, and we, ours have not only been covered, but theirs even, too, when Christ came, it was dealt with. Every single thing was dealt with, and that's what we'll get into uh, coming, coming in these days uh, ahead during the week here but in Colossians 2 this is what what it's teaching us both when their faith looked forward, ours looked back theirs was an atonement or a means of God to be able to reconcile to them and treat them that way as he covered it and their faith looked forward and ours looks back on this finished work that Jesus finished in John 19 and verse 30. If we understand these things properly in their proper sequence and proper chronology, it'll do away with a lot of confusion and bad teaching. Very, very, very bad teaching. We'll get into it. We're gonna see how the church in the early days was affected by a guy named uh, Joseph Arminius. That's where we get Arminianism and then others affected and we'll show the reasons why coming up this week too and then others were affected by John Calvin calvinism and we're going to see through a, a, a misunderstanding where one where one would see just only atonement but not substitution and then the other wouldn't see atonement they would just he would just see substitution and leave out so much truth and this is just trying to give you a, a little a, you know a little nutshell of what these words are but again atonement kafar for uh, old testament covered you you and i will see this okay so in, in colossians 2 colossians 2 it says in 211 in whom also you are circumcised putting off the flesh with a circumcision made without hands, without any, anything that we had a thing to do with, between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son on Calvary, that's just what this is teaching, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, what he did on Calvary in our place, buried with him in baptism. And remember, baptism only has to do with death. That's what baptism has to do with. You can see that in Romans, the 6th chapter, especially those first 11 and 12 verses. But here, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him. Now we have this resurrection life. That's what we have. We no longer have to die to something. We just, and this is again, it's Romans 6, 1 through 12, we just reckon that it's already so, finished. (laughs) The finished work of Christ. So, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith, absolute dependence, and what he did to his father, propitiation, and for us as our substitute, whereby we are now, through our substitute, reconciled to God, who has raised him from the dead. And he rose us with him. You'll see that in Romans 8, verse 11. Here in verse 13 of Colossians 2, and it says, You being dead in your sins, dead, separated, death is always separation, never extinction, dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, still functioning in it, with all those sins, has He enlivened, given life, together with Him. And boy, with Him, we'll see what these words mean with Him. They're they're phenomenal with him, having forgiven, that's past tense, having forgiven you all your trespasses, right? all the trespasses, all those known areas of disobedience, and furthermore, even for the sins of ignorance, what we we didn't know and still did and weren't aware of, and that goes into, again, the type in Leviticus 4 and verse 27, the priest would go in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of omission, the sins of ignorance. And this is what Christ has accomplished. Atonement, substitute, reconciliation. And so, having forgiven you all your trespasses in Colossians 2 and verse 13, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. See, everything about God and his purity, in his nature, character, and essence, and holiness was in total contrast to us. As a whole, ruined race of people, all your t- blotting out the handwriting, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, and he nailed it to his cross. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? We have so much to be thankful for. He nailed it to to his cross. He's forgiven us. Notice that. That's why we can function when we don't have answers, when we're when there's confusion, and when there's a misunderstanding. What can we huh, okay, function in love. Function in love with each other and and, uh, in our relationships. But again, that goes into when God passed over these sins in the old covenant, atone, kaphar, cover, this is what is being brought out and we can see this very beautifully in Romans the third chapter and then we'll just be brief to just lay a little bit of a foundation of these words. And then go into them in detail. Because God is a God of details. But we just want to lay a little bit the foundation. So here in Romans, the third chapter, we see this. We see in Romans, the third chapter, it says this. In 3.23, for all have sinned. Old Testament people and New Testament people. All have sinned. Everyone had that old sin nature from adam passed on based upon psalm 51 verse 5 and romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 12. that old sin nature was just passed on we're going to see and get really good teaching and, and precise teaching on these things so that we can know god's thoughts towards us and how they're peace and never evil in jeremiah 29 verse 11 but here in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified, remember what justification means. Being cleared of all guilt and condemnation in the courtroom of God's justice through Jesus Christ, our retaining lawyer, our representative. Being free, being justified freely with grace, saved by grace, Ephesians 2.8, through faith and even that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast, because we're his workmanship, Christ. We're his workmanship, that God has ordained each of us steps for us to walk in in our new nature. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So being justified, in Romans 3, verse 24, being justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation, by freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He who's redeemed us and dealt with everything is now in us. Boy, now in us. Here's verse 25. Whom God has set forth or foreordained to be a propitiation. Listen to what it says. Through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Meaning all those other people, He their sins he was covering. It's Micah 7, 18, who is a God like unto you that passes by iniquity? Nope. I know that they believe in and it's going to go on my son. He's going to deal with it. So I'm passing it. And buried in the sea of forgetfulness. In Micah 7 and verse 19, that's what that's bringing out. That's what the mercy seat was teaching them. All those sacrifices in Exodus, especially in Leviticus, and even parts of it in Numbers, brought out beautifully these truths about Jesus Christ and how he, and what he's accomplished for us in terms of atonement, substitution, and reconciliation. And so here, it says here, do declare, I say, in Romans 3, verse 26, I say at this time, well, again, the remission of verse 25, the remission or the passing over. Do you remember the passing over? Remember what he said when the death angel was going to come? In Exodus, the 12th chapter, those first 13 verses, the Israelites were to go in, they were to take the hyssop, which would speak of absolute faith, dip it in the blood of that innocent victim. Remember, there had to be a death and bloodshed to fulfill the justice of God. And in the type, they took the hyssop, which would speak of faith, dip it in the blood, put it on the two side posts and on the lentil. Then they would go in and feast on the lamb and eat those bitter herbs. And what bitter herbs, it just simply means that there is sorrow, but never with regret in 2 Corinthians 7.10. That's what he was doing here. And that's why he said, and I wish uh, we could all understand this more clearly many and thank God for the understanding that we do have by his pure grace and pure dependence on that grace and his unconditional love, that he says that when I see the blood, I'll pass over. He's measured our sins. We don't measure it by each other. We don't measure each other in terms of forgiveness. It's measured by Christ who dealt with it between two individuals that have Christ in them. And, it's beautiful, and it keeps love flowing. And when love is interrupted, forgiveness comes in. Because we have the substitute constantly who's the treasure in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. So again, here when it says to declare in verse 26 of Romans 3, I say at this time his righteousness. Why? Because in verse 25, to declare the righteousness for the passing over of the sins that were in the past through the forbearance, God being patient and long-suffering till Christ would come of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. And you know what that's teaching us? That God, through Christ in us, is declaring his righteousness and that we are righteous in Christ and that's how he sees us. Even in chastisement, which is loving chastisement, it's because we're righteous and we're his. Thank God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We're his. We're not our own. We're not our own. And when we think that we are, we think according to the flesh. (laughs) Many times, not much needs to be said when there's struggles and miscommunication. It's just a time just to love each other. It really is. That would answer just quickly this. Oh, okay. You made a mistake? Okay. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Right? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm weak and frail. You are. And, and we don't excuse sin or make excuses for it, but we deal with it in 1 John 1, 1.9. We confess it and start walking again in Ephesians 5 and verse 2, right again in love. That's expressed towards each other. And when one doesn't have it, the other can still express it for the other to walk in. And that's uh, something that I know that I need to learn more than I've ever needed to learn it before. But it was his righteousness for the remission, the passing over the sins that had passed through the unbelievable forbearance of of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just. What's that mean? God was just by passing over them because they were going to be dealt with by Christ when he would come and put on that humanity. That, That sinless nature had a human nature, never a sin nature, Again, based upon the types in Numbers 19 and verse 2 and Exodus 12, 1 to 13, the victim had to be spotless. But for God to be just, there had to be a substitute. That substitute would have to die and shed his blood for those that needed and couldn't be reconciled on their own to be reconciled to God. We needed a substitute. That's what First Timothy 2.5 says. There's one mediator between God and men it is the man, Christ Jesus, because there's no other name whereby men must be saved than the name, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, in Acts 4 and verse 12. And that's what Job, in the midst of his trial, was crying out for, one to touch his humanity. And, and this this substitute would be able to touch God in his deity, and that's Christ. This is explaining, just laying the foundation, but again, Without going further into it and just laying this foundation here, the testimony of, of the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are holy, as best as we have these in these translations, but with, with the original Koine uh, Greek, and we don't have to go any further than that, but the Holy Scriptures, they're, they're really, really holy. That We have that witness or testimony of the Holy uh, Scriptures, and it's very clear It's very explicit. It's very abundant. And this is a cardinal truth. Cardinal truth means it's most foundational. Cardinal. First place. First thing. The first thing, what makes it such a cardinal truth is that propitiation okay, has to do with God the Father being propitiated, first and foremost. That's what's so cardinal about it (laughs) and making it so foundational. But that cardinal truth is that atonement, which is our Greek word, theirs is kafar, was covered over, until they, until they, when we look back, and what what do we see? We see we're reconciled. Katalage, in the Greek. But it's by the shedding of blood. Those coats of skins, even back when Adam and Eve fell, and they fell, remember in their fall, in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, they heard the voice of God in Genesis 3 and verse 8. They hid themselves in verses 9 through 12. And then God goes into the particular things that he went into and in dealing with the sin issue and causing them to be accountable and responsible to him, to own what needed to be owned, that they couldn't do anything about what they did, but that God... The pre-incarnate Christ, and that's the pre-incarnate Christ there in in Genesis, the third chapter, where he took an innocent animal, killed it, blood was shed, then the coats of those animals he covered, Adam and Eve. This was pointing to what Christ would do and accomplished on Calvary, even back then, right from the start. So we see the seeds of atonement, we see that, substitute and reconciliation the seeds of it were even then in genesis the third chapter but he made the lord god made those coats of skin for adam and eve they were gotten from victims that had to die and their blood had to be shed even in 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 genesis with noah when we deal with noah but what we can see here Remember Adam and uh, Cain and Abel in their sacrifices? Cain's was rejected. Abel's was accepted. Because in Genesis 4 and verse 4, what he offered, what he offered, we see Abel had offered. He offered the best of those lambs, the best of his herd, the purest without blemish. And when it says the fat there, and you'll see that in Genesis 4 and verse 4. The fat mean, means just simply the very best one that he could get. The purest, most spotless, most best one that he could get. And that was picturing what God would do. He would give the very best his son, a spotless lamb. And he gave him that. And then it says in Hebrews 11 verse 4, of course, Cain was rejected. We see that in Genesis chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. K, uh, Abel's was, was accepted because he offered a more excellent sacrifice in Hebrews 11.4, and that was Christ in type, even back then. See, there was, there was a death, an innocent victim, a death, and blood was shed. And then even with Abraham, when he gave him all that promise, in Genesis, the 15th chapter, he said, I'm going to make a whole people. And will be, if you can count the stars, you'll count how many people I'm going to have as a seed that flow through you. How is this going to be accomplished? The rest of it brings out the sacrifices. You'll see there had to be a ram, a lamb, and even pigeons. And pigeons were offered for people that were very, very poor and couldn't afford a more expensive sacrifice. But even then, the, the, there had to be a death of an innocent victim and blood was shed. This again is dealing with atonement. And we see that in the fifth, even in Exodus the 12th chapter in verses 1 through 13. He said and we see that innocent victim death bloodshed. Then we see even when we get to the book of Leviticus. Everything about the book of Leviticus, every single thing about it. Is, is giving the evidence and truth of atonement, right? What is next? Substitute, reconciliation. Atonement is just propitiation. So it's what we would say, propitiation, the booklet that, that we wrote, I don't know how many years ago in Texas, I don't know, I think maybe eight, I can't remember how many years ago, but it was some years back. It was called propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. That's what atonement means. It's propitiation. God being propitiated. So even in the book of Leviticus, we will see that. Through the week, we're going to see how that's taught in the types in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. But all through the book of Leviticus, there was what was called the burnt offering that had to do with propitiation. There was the peace offering as a result of what Christ would accomplish as that burnt offering. There was a sin offering and a, and a trespass offering. But every single one of those, they were, it was based on bloodshedding, Innocent victim, death, blood bloodshedding. Blood and also, you can even see it, based upon Leviticus 17 and verse 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood And I have given it, God says, I have given it to you upon the altar, whose blood, that's Christ, to make an atonement, okay, a propitiation for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Again, that's Leviticus 17 and verse 11. We don't have the time to get into it in detail today, but through the week we will. And by God's grace, as the Holy Spirit will begin to teach all of us these beautiful truths. But we see it even in Hebrews 9, verse 22, where the Apostle Paul, and it was definitely, without, without getting into controversy, he wrote the book of Hebrews. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews, so if he needed to talk to those that were going back to the law, he would know it. Because he was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. We see that based upon Philippians, the third chapter, in and, and those first uh, eight verses. He was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. They looked up to him more than anybody. <laughs> He wrote it, and that's why he said, and was teaching these, Hebrew, they were Christians, but once they were Christians in the church, they were part of the church, they were going back to the law again, relying on the flesh to do things that were already finished by Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, period. And so he wrote then, in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We know that, that's Revelations 1, 5 and 9. But we know this in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, what he was teaching them is this, that almost all things by the law are purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no passing over of sins. Without the blood of Christ, as a a substitute and Savior for all those, God could not pass over them because his justice wouldn't be fulfilled because they wouldn't receive Christ as the only means of that. So we also see that, also we see it in Acts 20, 28, when Paul was teaching the the church at Ephesus, space of about three years. By the way, he taught seven days a week, morning till night. (laughs) You know, that's what he did. That's how important these truths were when he, when he taught them about the blood of the Lamb in Acts 20 and uh, 28. And this will do away with a lot of questions, a lot of questions that we will eventually uh, get into very soon. But in John 1, a, a familiar verse with some of us, in John 1 and verse 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God. And it, when it says that, it says, That takes away the sin of the world. Not sins. It's taught that Jesus Christ took away the sins of the whole world when the Bible never says that, ever. He only dealt with the sins of those that chose him as their substitute because it's just propitiation. So God was free to make it available to all in Revelations 22 and verse 17, whosoever will because he's been propitiated. Now he offers his son as a sacrifice as the only means of reconciliation to deal with personal sins. This goes into the two lots in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. And this is where we need, we do need precise teaching. This is where the enemy comes in and says, oh, this is too much. You can't keep up with it. You don't understand. He tries to do the same thing with me. Oh, you can't do this, Ed. You know, this takes too much study. No, it's worth every second of it. Every single second, and it's needed deeply, so john one twenty nine reveals that Christ was the substitute in terms of those uh, the Father being propitiated, so the Father is free in his unconditional love and grace to offer him for the sins of many we'll see the difference in that in Romans the fifth chapter and in Leviticus the sixteenth chapter, and all that the Bible just start making the most unbelievable sense but it's supernatural sense it's not natural intelligence at all it's just receiving it just receiving it and trusting God for it so he is the Lamb of the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world that's propitiation totally propitiation you can also see that in Hebrews 9 and verse 26 As we wrap it up this morning, Christ did a work on the cross in virtue of every trace of sin will not be seen until the new heavens and the new earth will shine forth the absolute glory and eternal boat of righteousness. There's going to come a time when every trace of it, because even up to Revelations, the 20th chapter, there's still sin. It's dealt with by God, but He's bringing it out. So you can have a plan formulated in your mind, but then you put it into action. And this is the action. Finally, the la- sin will finally be dealt with when Satan is finally consumed in fire, cast into the lake of fire, where the beast and false prophet are already at that time in Revelations the 19th chapter at the end of that chapter. He will be. Then you're going to see in Revelation 21, 1, a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. And he baptizes the earth and fire, prepares it, prepares it. This is the new heavens and the new earth. that's brought out in Isaiah 65, 17. It was prophesied. Who fulfilled all prophecy? It's prophesied in, in Isaiah 66 and Verse 22. And God, the Holy Spirit, brings it out through the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.10-13. He baptizes the earth with fire to get it ready for the new heavens and the new earth where we're going to rule and reign with Christ forever. (laughs) Truths, boy, we have a lot to be so much thankful for, don't we? We have so much to be thankful for. He did this. Every trace of sin will be obliterated from the whole creation at that time because it's based upon what Christ has already accomplished, but now he's working it out. Dealing out eternal heavenly realities on the earth. (laughs) It's very wonderful to see this, this work that Christ has accomplished. The full result will be seen when we have the new heavens and the new earth. But all of it has to do with the propitiatory atonement work that God has been dealing with, And mercy and goodness with the whole world. That's what's brought out in Matthew 5, 45. He makes his son to shine on the just and on the unjust. Those who have their sins dealt with and those that didn't. It's called logistical grace. Detail of life, grace. Who deserves it? Who earns it? Whoever chose to be born. Whoever designed their bodies to function a certain way. Who did all of that? who gave us a mind to think with and a will to submit and done all of this. This is all based upon the perpetuatory work of Christ, that work. And he's been dealing with it, with the whole world, with man, from the fall in Genesis 3 all the way up to this present moment because he sent his sunshine and his rain upon the earth. And it even says, and we'll bring this out as we close, he, f- he has filled men's hearts with food and gladness, even those that don't want anything to do with him, that don't want a single thing to do with him. He has been dealing in patience and long-suffering, talk about our relationships and Christ in us with each other, with the human family, and in virtue of that same propitiatory sacrifice, it's the evangelist, The one that goes and tells people, we all have that privilege, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Though God did beseech you in us, he's beseeching us. He can beseech others with Christ because Christ in us who did it. And he can say, listen, he can say, and this is what he offers. What he offers is, not that Jesus paid for your sins, except him, because that's what we were taught for years. And still multitudes in certain areas are taught that. No, we go out and when we sow him, we go out and say, God's been propitiated. Christ has, has been, he propitiated, he dealt with his father to his full satisfaction. And, and you can receive him right now. I can? Yes. Oh, then I want to. Oh, and when you do, you know what else I can tell you? No, he's forgiven you, every one of your sins. And why can't we forgive each other for what's already been dealt with? And there's the patience of his love. And there's the growing in grace. But you know what? We're going to see this. Never in the scriptures does it ever say, ever, that Christ paid for the sins, plural, of the whole world. He never did so. Ever. And this is where Arminianism and Calvinism whew, brings in all kinds, of, all kinds of false theology. That's why, I listen, it's not left up to man theology, Theo, Theos, God, Logos, Christ the Son. It's him. The Holy Spirit is the only theologian. He's the scholar that takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. Because if not, then theology, so-called, man's will being involved with the things of God, and you can see that in 2 Peter 1.20, wasn't man's will that, that, that Christ did all of this. And, and satisfied the Father and did all of this for us it had nothing to do with man's will, even what was written by those prophets and by Paul from Christ. It was none of it. It was all God. Every bit of it. Never teaches, but theology will teach you that. And theology is man in his flesh functioning apart from the reality of who Christ is and what he's accomplished to his Father and for us. He confounds us. It's only one object that we have. There's only one object. And that object's not the pastor. It's Christ. He's the one pastor teacher. He's the one shepherd. In Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 13, but especially in verse 11, he's the one pastor teacher. He's the good shepherd, John 10, 11 and 14. He's the great shepherd of the sheep, you and I, in Hebrews 13, 20. And in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, he's the chief shepherd. He's supreme. And Father, we have so much to be thankful for. No wonder you said <clears throat> in Ephesians 5 and verse 20, be thankful for all things. And it's not just one day that we can be thankful. And even the fact that we can be thankful is the proof that we're free. Free. Free to receive your love. Free to give it, God. Graciously receive it and freely give it and not hold each other accountable for failure or for misunderstandings and and just to trust you with all our heart and so we don't lean to our own understanding in Proverbs 3, 5. And then we can be thankful in all things. And 1 Thessalonians 5 in verse 18. Thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.